Acts chapter number two. We're continuing our series, Come Alive, the Empowering of the Church. So we're going to be in, uh, really all of Acts chapter two is about Pentecost. We're going to be in the middle section here as Peter begins his sermon, uh, really the first sermon that is preached after Jesus's ascension. So uh, we're going to break this sermon up into a couple messages uh, because there's just so much, <coughs> excuse me, so many doctrinal truths that we see within this passage. And uh, really, I want to um, end it kind of at a maybe a different point today, just because there's so much in there. And then I want to make an application for all of us, for our church, of what I believe we see as we study the book of Acts and we look at these first couple chapters this morning. So really looking forward to the application, really looking forward to jumping into the message this morning. I guess it helps if I turn there myself. So Acts chapter number two, Acts chapter number two, go ahead and stand if you could. And we're going to start in verse number 12 this morning. Uh, remember, we talked about last week how the, the Holy Spirit had come, had come upon uh, the group of 120 there in the upper room, had, had empowered them and filled them uh, with, his, with His power, and, and the presence of the Holy Spirit was finally felt. And now we get to verse number 13. We saw the amazing things that had taken place uh, last week, and really, uh, just again, we talked a little bit about tongues, and tongues uh, were for um, unbelievers. We have to understand that. Uh, unbelievers were always present in the Bible when uh, tongues were being spoken. So it's not like they were just you know, speaking gibberish. They were speaking known dialects. And the, the crowd that were there, the, the Jews that were there, there in Jerusalem, they were just amazed because they came from all walks of life and uh, different kindred and different tongues. And they were amazed that Galilean simple folk were able to speak and able to understand what they were saying. Now, verse number 13, we kind of pick up the narrative again. Others mocking said, these men, and I love this, these men are full of new wine. So after all of this that has happened, all, all of this has taken place, uh, they're being able to understand these Galileans, these 120 that are going out and speaking uh, to other people about Jesus Christ. And the crowd is like, these guys are drunk. <laughs> And that's kind of where the, the narrative picks up this morning. Now, verse number 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice. He, he starts to preach. He lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. Listen to the words that I have to say to you. So see, I'm not the only one that says that. Verse number 15. For these are not drunken, as you suppose. And I love how you know, Peter starts off, he's just trying to uh, settle this uh, debate, this argument. Uh, these are not drunken as you suppose, as you think, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Now, understanding the third hour, he's basically saying, hey, there's no way these guys are drunk. It's only 9 o'clock a.m. Now, I know some people, they get drunk at like 6 o'clock a.m. It doesn't really matter uh, what time it is, but uh, hopefully you're not drunk this morning. I don't really know, but hopefully you're not. But he's saying, there's no way they're drunk. It's only 9 o'clock a.m., and it's not that you can't get drunk before that. But during this time, remember this is the feast of, uh, what is this the feast of? I just lost my, what? <laughs> yeah, feast of Pentecost. It's chapter two. I just lost my mind. Uh, it's the feast of Pentecost. But a lot of times during these feasts, Jews, they would not eat or drink anything until close to noon. So that's part of why Peter is dismantling this. He's saying, no way. There's no way this could be of what you're saying because you know, we're during this feast time, and what he is talking about is what you are seeing is evidence of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Verse number 16, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
back in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32, is what Peter is referencing here. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and all my servants and, and my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will show you wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, excuse me, and the moon into blood before the great and the notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he's giving really a gospel invitation here and talking about Jesus and salvation. We're going to stop here at this time. We're going to continue on through verse number 36 throughout the message. But let's go ahead and pray and start this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you. Well, we thank you for this day that you've given us. And God, I thank you again that we can have an opportunity to come and worship you. Uh, Lord, my heart has already been stirred uh, just by the, the singing and worshiping you of our, of our music this morning. Just the powerful testimony of the songs, just speaking evidence of who you are. And really that last song that we, we sang, King of Kings, Lord, praise, praise the Father, praise the Son for all that you've done. And, and I love that last verse, the church came alive. And really that's what we're seeing here. The church has come alive at, at Pentecost when the Spirit lit that flame inside of them. And Lord, I pray that that flame that is in us, if we are believers of you, would be lit and stay lit. And God, I pray that you would help us to go out into the world with your power and with your presence. And Lord, remarkable things can be done when we are acting in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we love you. I pray that you be with us this morning as we dive into your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Let me ask a question as we start this morning. and want to try to get some interaction if we can. Um, how, kind of a tough, kind of a vague question, but how do you, personally, how do you convince someone? That's a very vague question, but how do you convince someone? Anyone? How do you convince someone? What? I thought I heard someone. All right, all right. Well, one at a time now. All right, Randy. Stare at them until they change their mind. All right, I'm just going to stare at you all today until you understand the message. That's what Amanda has done with me in the past couple of weeks with their little baby Yoda stare or whatever. Um, yeah, some of you guys know that from Facebook. Um, for the mic, how do you convince someone? How do you convince your wife? No, let's not go there. How do you just convince someone? A normal person... Present facts. Does not convince Tasha. She doesn't care about the facts at all. All right. What else? Who else? How do you convince someone? The way to a man's heart is through his stomach, his belly. All right. With food. Very good. Uh, leave it there. Yes. <laughs> Tiffany. Just persistence. Persistence. Not giving up. All right. Very good. One of those people that we all love. Nag, right? Is that, 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 that the right word? Should we use? That's, that's biblical, right? Nag? Um, <laughs> wife? No, no, sorry. Uh, Mike? Michael? Potato salad and devil eggs. That's how she convinces Justin? Is that it? That's true. He's not denying the fact. All right, well, how else? This is, this is fun. How do you convince someone this morning? Anyone else? 
come to your, with your point of view with enthusiasm. So with Erilyn, you just come like excited and jump. Hey, this is what we're going to do, right? Basically. Just like that. Does it work, Erilyn? He's like, no, nah, not really. <laughs> yes. Oh, lock him in a closet until we agree. Man, this is, this is getting good. Uh, let's continue this for a couple more minutes. What? Bribe them. Has it worked with your husband? Yes. All the time. All right. How else? Let's get you know, a couple more, honestly. Just give me a chance, give it a trial, and it usually fails, right? No, no, it doesn't, it doesn't fail. Yes. Guilt someone. Guilt, guilt someone into it. Yeah, that never works on anyone, it works all the time. Um, I'm not gonna try to guilt you into the message. That's good, what else? Give me two more. Anyone else? Come on. Give them all the positive of it, okay? Does that help, Casey? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, what else? What else? Anyone else? Maybe one more? How do you convince someone? Tell them you've been there and done that. Tell them you've been there and done that. That helps right there. That's, that's good. That's a great way to leave it off of. Tell them you've been there and done that. So, you know, I ask this question because... As Peter is preaching this sermon to all of those that are gathered in Jerusalem, he is trying to convince them of something. He is trying to convince them of something that really is unbelievable. He's trying to convince them of the proof of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ. Now, some had seen it, some had not, but I think some of the best way that you convince someone is really what Peter was trying to do, is convince them with facts, eyewitness accounts. You know, it's hard to go against someone that has an eyewitness account, right? If they have seen something, and not just one person or two people, if hundreds or thousands of people have seen something and witnessed something, it's hard to refute that, isn't it? Yes, if you're not awake, yes. The answer is yes. It is very hard, very difficult to refute that. And that's what Peter is trying to do uh, as he is preaching. He is trying to convince the crowd uh, of believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he gives us a couple of very important truths this morning. We're going to jump into it and kind of kind of somewhat verse by verse through this passage and then make the application this morning. But as he jumps in again, he's, he's starting off, hey, they're not drunk, they're just filled with the Spirit. But then verse number 16 is, I guess, where we want to pick up the narrative. Verse 16 through 21 is where we see the first point this morning. And the first point is this. He's trying to convince them with an important truth that prophecy, first and foremost, has been fulfilled. Prophecy has been fulfilled. Uh, one thing that I've realized as a preacher, one of the, the best commentaries is the Bible itself. What I mean is to help someone understand what a passage is talking about, it's one thing to go to another man and get their opinion, but the best way to understand the Bible is going to the Bible itself. Right, Brother Mike? To understand the Bible, you have to go to the Bible. And there's a lot of proof in the Bible that doesn't contradict itself, but verifies itself. And there are many passages, whether New Testament that go back to the Old Testament or, or vice versa. And that's what Peter is doing here. As he is preaching to this crowd of Jews, he is going back and referencing the Old Testament, something they would understand. He is going back and referencing uh, out of the book of Joel or the prophet Joel, some things that Joel had talked about. And when you read Joel's prophecy in context, and we're not going to for sake of time, but he's going back to, if you want to just jot this down, Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. He is, he is talking about the day of the Lord 
when the Lord would come back in these, these last days, these final days. And essentially, as Peter starts here, and it says, verse number 17, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Um, verse number 16, I skipped that one, but it says, But this is that. Now that's very important. So what he's saying is, this that you are seeing, what you are witnessing right now is not people being drunk. It is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is that what Joel predicted. The Holy Spirit, what Joel wrote about, is here. You see, this is the final act of God's redemptive plan being unfolded. And the Jews would understand this. And even in Numbers chapter 11, verse number 29, Moses said, Then Moses said unto them, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon him. What Moses was saying is he had longed for what Joel predicted. He had longed for the spirit coming and empowering in people's lives because he knew the power that the Holy Spirit could have on an individual. In verse 17 and 18, Peter isn't saying that all believers have the gift of prophesy or prophesying. It's not what he's saying about future events. Here's what he's teaching us. That we can know God intimately and make him known faithfully. To prophesy is more than just going back and understanding some past events and future events. Prophesying is really what he's talking about here is declaring. Declaring God's word. Declaring the truth. So, what we understand here is that we should make God known. We should know him intimately. And like the prophets of old, it is our job, church, it is our declaration, it is our mission, our purpose to make God's word known to a lost and dying world. And Peter's main point here in this, this small section of Acts chapter 2 is not the particular form that the outpouring of the Spirit took, but rather that it was poured out on all flesh. Now, that is important. And I mentioned this briefly last week, but one of the things that stood out to me in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, when the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit didn't just come to select individuals. Understand that? He didn't just come to Peter and James and John and maybe a couple of the other apostles. The Holy Spirit came to all of those believers that were there present in the upper room. And what we learn from that is that the Holy Spirit is there to indwell in all believers. And again, it, studying God's word excites me and you know, lights a fire under me. But I, I'm excited about that. I am thankful that the same spirit that Peter can have, that Paul can have, is the same spirit that I can have, that you can have. And when the Spirit came, when the Holy Spirit came, he came for all flesh. On all flesh, those that would trust in Jesus as their Savior. This wasn't just for you know, the rabbis, the religious leaders of the day. It wasn't just for the apostles. It was for men and women, boys and girls, all who would trust Jesus as their Savior. The Apostle Paul later taught 1 Corinthians 12, 13, where he basically said, By one Spirit we're all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. No believer today, listen, lacks the presence and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you are saved, you do not lack the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within you. Understand that? If you are saved, 
You do not lack the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within you. Now, again, as we mentioned last week, there's a difference between the indwelling of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is a conditional thing. It's something we must pray and ask God to fill us up constantly because it's very easy to be full of ourselves, right? It's very easy to be full of our flesh and do what the flesh wants us to do instead of being full of the Spirit and leading and guiding and doing what the Spirit would have us to do. But Peter is preaching this message, and indeed it is the dawning of a new day. They are entering in the last days. And as he said in verse number 18, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And then verse number 21, and it shall come to pass that, again, a great passage here, great salvation charge, that whosoever, let's just read this together. Verse number 21, throw it up on the screen, guys. Verse number 21 of Acts chapter 2. Go ahead and read it out. Ready? And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's say that again because I couldn't say whosoever. Whosoever. Uh, all right, ready? Begin. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now let me ask you a tough question. Who is whosoever? Everyone. I know we don't always understand what the Bible says, but whosoever is anyone, everyone. Whoever calls upon Jesus shall be what? Saved. That is what Peter is saying here. To all the Jews present, present, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved from your sins. What a plea, what an invitation. But now we get to Peter's main point of the message, starting in verse number 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words again. Hey, listen, listen to what I'm saying. Hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourself also know. Peter is raising, as we see here and as we will see, a forceful and controversial issue. Now, the Jewish crowd didn't necessarily come that day to hear about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They didn't come to hear about the resurrection and, and the crucifixion. But Peter, as he is diving into this, and we'll read the more verses in just a minute, but he is diving into an important truth, that the preaching of Christ, the preaching of Jesus, is the central truth to our Christian faith. To understand what Christianity is all about, we have to understand who Jesus is. To understand what Christianity is all about, we have to understand who Jesus is. So he starts with the person of Jesus Christ. And, and the point here in verses 22 through 36 is this, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is Messiah. That is very important. Now, this is a big deal to the Jew. Christ or Messiah was a well-defined concept from the Old Testament. And Jesus of Nazareth, there's no way he was that guy. Jews did not see Jesus as the Messiah. To the Jew, he was just another upstart religious leader that, you know, was a great teacher and, and a good guy. But this is exactly what Peter is trying to show them. He is trying to show them more about the Messiah, who they already knew about, and trying to show them more about Jesus, who they also knew about. As he says again in verse number 22, follow along. Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. You know, hey... Here's what he's saying. Hey, y'all know this guy. Y'all know this guy, Jesus. He's the one that has been with us. 
And some of you, many of you, have seen some of the signs, the wonders, the miracles that he has performed. The death of Christ was part of God's master plan. The Jewish people, though, could not fathom a Messiah being crucified. When they thought of Messiah, they thought of someone that was coming to, to rule and reign and, and get rid of you know, Nero and, and um, you know, some of those, those emperors that were trying to squelch what they were doing, that he was going to just come and, and take over. They couldn't understand that someone that, that died in agonizing death, there's no way he could be the Messiah. But Peter is first proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. And he is going back, again, referencing another passage of Scripture, Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. And he recalls predictions of the resurrection where David is predicting of a future Messiah. Now, many Jews at that time thought David was talking about himself. But Peter, let's continue on in the narrative. He says, him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. So he's putting it back on them. Hey, you are the ones that caused his death, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pain of death, whether it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Continue on, verse 25. For David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, all my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Verse 28, thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. This is in reference exactly to Psalm 16, verse 11. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. You know David. He was the king of Israel, a well-known figure among Jews. That he is both dead and buried. And his sepulcher is with us unto this day. So there he is, what Peter is saying here, he's, he's trying to help the Jews understand. David was not talking about himself. Because David, a great man that he was, is dead. Go to his sepulcher, go to his tomb, go to where he is buried, dig it up, and what will you find? His bones. You go to any tomb that someone has died, you dig it up, and you should find their bones. But what he is saying here is that you go to the tomb of Jesus, you won't find any bones, will you? Because Jesus is not there. So when David is talking about this and, and trying to testify of the future Messiah, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter is getting at. Verse number 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you. He is both dead and buried. His sepulcher is with us unto this day. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 30. Therefore, being a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to all flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of this resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. And then he gets to it, verse 32. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. So, the Jesus that you know, the Jesus that was with you, 
God raised him up. And again, Peter is trying to convince the crowd of something. And the best way to convince someone is through facts and really eyewitness accounts. There's other ways as well, but he's presenting the facts that you go to the tomb of Jesus and you won't find him there. Also, there is eyewitnesses accounts. And the Bible speaks of this, that at least 500, really probably thousands of people saw the resurrected Christ. If thousands of people saw someone die, and then a couple days later, they see him alive, that can refute anything about, well, they just took his body, right? There's no way they could take his body. If you saw him dead, no life in him, you saw him put in the tomb, you saw him wrapped up in cords and was in there for three days, and, and you saw him walking around, hundreds and hundreds and if thousands of people see the resurrected Christ, this is not just some coincidence. So Peter is bringing up the exaltation of Jesus now being at the right hand of God. And it answers two important questions for us. First of all, can a mere man occupy that place of honor? Verse number 34, for David has not ascended himself into heavens. Jesus, what did Jesus just do at the end of chapter one or the middle of chapter one? He ascended up into heaven. Hundreds and hundreds of people witnessed that, remember? They witnessed Jesus levitating up into the sky. This isn't something you're just making up. Hundreds of people have witnessed this, have seen this. Verse 34, uh, For David is not ascended up into heavens, but he saith unto himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on thy right hand, until I make thy foes a footstool. And the second question he's answering or asking is this, can a dead man be exalted? Verse 36, we see that really the proof is in the pudding. And what I mean is that the proof is in the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You see, what was happening, what was taking place, people being able to understand each other and, and being set on fire, that is not just mere coincidence. And now David is referencing Psalm chapter 110, something Jews would quote very often. This is something no man could do. Look at verse number 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, know with, without a shadow of a doubt, that God hath made that same Jesus, the Jesus that you know, the Jesus that walked among you. <coughs> Excuse me. God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye crucified, for the last four words, verse 36, both Lord and Christ. And that's important. That's important to this message, and that's important to the message that Peter is preaching. That God had raised up Jesus, had exalted him. He's not dead anymore. He had raised him up. Jesus is alive, and he's not just alive, but Jesus is Messiah. And what a powerful testimony that Peter is preaching to the Jews there. Because again, they couldn't fathom Messiah that would be killed, that would suffer an agonizing death. But Peter is saying that the same Jesus that you know is God's son. He is the Christ. He is the living God. He is Messiah. Now think about this. The disciples, the apostles that were there and present there at Pentecost. What did they have to gain 
if they were just preaching a lie? Nothing. It's not like they were going to get rich off this. Imprisonment might be facing them. Death, persecution. They had nothing to gain by preaching a lie. Because the message that they were preaching aroused official opposition and even led to imprisonment and death of many of the believers. Now, a few fanatics, listen, a few fanatics might be willing to believe and promote a lie for a time. You know, many of us have probably lied in here, and maybe we've tried to promote a lie and push a lie to get our agenda across, right? Because we're trying to get something done. But when thousands believe a message, and when the message is backed up by miracles, you can't easily dismiss it. These witnesses were trustworthy. And Peter is bringing about a stirring conclusion, which we're going to actually look at next week. And those that know the Bible and the book of Acts, what we see is that what thousands of people were saved on this day of Pentecost, which is amazing. Thousands of people, what, 3,000 I think it was? 3,000 were saved on the day of Pentecost. All by this message that Peter is preaching and the outpouring of the Spirit upon the life of the believers. That Jesus is the Messiah. But he's also telling them that you crucified him. You know, it's convicting to think about that we as well are guilty of Jesus' death. It's our sin that caused him to go to the cross to die a cruel death for mankind. And Peter is pleading, as many pastors and preachers do, pleading of salvation that really the only way that you will be with the Messiah, the resurrected Christ, is if you accept this news. Accept the gift of salvation, as he said back in verse 21. Whosoever, anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord, that believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior, believes that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, that he died on the cross, that he rose again victoriously. If you call upon the name of Jesus, you know what's going to happen? You will be saved. And that's the important message that we see here. Now, for those that might be here today and you never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I want to plead with you as Peter was pleading that today is the day to call upon Jesus. Today is the day to call upon him as your Savior, to ask him into your heart to save you of your sins because only Jesus can save. Only Jesus can wash away your sins. Only Jesus can redeem you and forgive you and give you a new identity as we've been preaching for the past year. Only Jesus can do that. If you're not saved, today is the day that you should call upon the name of the Lord. And and as we'll look at next week more specifically, this message convicted the hearts of the hearers. It convicted them so much that he couldn't even finish the message that they just started coming and needed to get saved, needed to get right with God. But what about the application for us today? And I want to make an application, not for the lost, because most of the time when people are listening on a Sunday morning, it's not necessarily the lost, but it's the saved. Again, we need to understand that if you are lost, if you are without Christ, then you are going to the place the Bible calls hell. That's where your destiny is. But if you call upon the name of the Lord, if God saves you and you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and save you, he will save you. And no matter when you die, he'll go to heaven. 
That's something all of us need to have settled in in our hearts and in our minds. But what about the application for us today as saved believers? Stay with me here. I'm almost done. If you ever studied the life of Jesus with his disciples, you've seen how, how they were and what they came from. You know, we talked a little bit about Peter. Peter used to be a fisherman. You know, Peter was a denier. I mean, Peter at one point denied Jesus Christ, right? He cursed the name of Jesus. And I'm not going to ask you if you ever cursed the name of Jesus. But Peter was a follower, a disciple, but he was also a denier of Jesus. We've seen where these disciples came from. And what we're seeing in the book of Acts, and this is what God has given me this morning, what we've seen in the book of Acts is that we've seen where they've come from in the Gospels to where they are now. How many could say that your life is not the same since Jesus has come into your life? Your life is different. I think many of us can testify of that fact. I have seen that as an eyewitness account here and other places that when the gospel comes in to a heart and a mind and the life of a believer, it changes them. You know, we think of one that is now in heaven. We think of Carrie. The amazing transformation that happened when Carrie Sanders got saved and trusted Jesus as a savior. Many of you might not have known him before, but who he was before to who he was after was not the same man. And I'm thankful of that. And I'm thankful for the transformation of the gospel. And that's what we see in these disciples and these apostles and these early believers, that the message of the gospel changed their life, transformed their life. And what caused the 120 ragtag disciples to set the world ablaze? I think one prominent thing that changed this group was that there was something in them. There was, listen, there was a commitment and engagement in them like never before. There was a commitment and engagement in them like never before. Now listen, stay with me. You cannot do things halfway and expect them to work out the way you want. You ever done a project haphazardly? I think all of us have. I've done that many times, especially when my wife you know, gives me a chore to do, and I don't really want to do it. It usually turns out great, right? Phenomenal. Don't lie. It doesn't. It turns out horrible because I'm not really committed to it. I'm not really engaged in it. And many of us have lived the Christian life haphazardly, haven't we? We haven't really been committed to it. haven't really been engaged. In it. Oh, there's been times where we have. There's been times where we were truly committed, truly engaged. And when you're truly committed to something, when you're truly engaged, you're going to perform a lot better. Right, Brother Mike? If Tasha gives you a job and you're actually committed to it and engaged in it, it's going to go a lot better. Right, Tasha? No, probably not. We know Brother Mike. Never mind. Bad example. <laughs> Thank you a lot. Uh, but anyway... If you're committed and engaged to something and, and you're really devoted to it, you're going to put more time and effort into it. Even if you don't know what you're doing, like Brother Mike half the time, you're going to study it, right? You're going to try to figure out what you need to do, how you need to live. And that's what we're seeing from these disciples. That as Acts comes, as Jesus has ascended into heaven, it's not about, well, you know what? I'm just going to live the Christian life halfway. I'm going to be haphazard about the Christian life. The Holy Spirit is the one that is doing the work through Peter and others on this day. 
And the disciples were empowered by the Spirit. They came alive. They were stirred up about their mission and, and their purpose. And there comes a point, listen, there comes a point in all of our lives where we have to decide, am I committed? And am I engaged? Am I committed? And am I engaged? Am I committed to Jesus Christ? And am I engaged in his mission, his purpose? There comes a point in all of our lives where we have to determine that. We have to make that decision. Is he truly worth following, worth living? Now, all of us would say, yeah, he's worth living. But we see from Peter that the message that Peter is preaching, he is realizing that this message is a message worth living. And what I'm trying to get across today, and I've got an application here, we'll close it out. What I'm trying to get across is that the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, is a message that is worth living. And for them, it was a message worth dying. But they realized what might happen to them. They realized they might get thrown in jail. They might die a cruel death, just like Jesus Christ. But the message of the gospel changed their life so much, transformed their life so much, that they were willing to commit their life to Jesus Christ, engage their life to Jesus Christ. So my challenge to you today is, are you willing to commit to Jesus? Are you willing to truly engage your life to Jesus Christ, to do what he has called you to do? And I hope that all of us would say, Pastor Chris, yes, I am willing to commit my life to Jesus Christ. I've already done that. I haven't asked if you've gotten saved. I haven't asked that. I'm asked, are you committed to Jesus? Are you truly engaged to carrying out his mission, his purpose, his agenda for your life? That's the question that we are seeing as we study the book of Acts. That's what we see from these disciples, these early followers. I think many times in life, here's what we're doing. We're living life like we're playing defense. And when you play defense, a lot of times you're trying to defend someone, right? Defend someone from getting through. Uh, Brother Mike, I need your help. Uh, Ian, come on up here. You know, we use these two guys, you know, because of CDC regulations and stuff like that. But I guess they can touch each other and stuff, right? Push each other and all that stuff. Okay, very good. All right. May need to adjust the camera, possibly. Possibly. As I just jump down and probably only see, like, this part of me. All right. Uh, yeah, stand here in the front. Okay, so who wants to be defense? Who wants to be offense? All right, it'll be defense. Okay, very good. All right, Brother Mike, stand over here. Turn this way. All right, you're on offense. So offense, your job is to get past the defender, okay? Easy. Your job as a defender is to stop the offense, okay? All right, so go ahead. Just, I mean, just have fun with it. This is great. Are we getting this on camera? Awesome. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Can't do it. Why can't you do it? You okay, Ian? Do you give up? Do you cry mercy? No. Nope. He doesn't give up. He doesn't give up at all? Oh. Glad the pants are not coming off. All right. Well, he, he kind of got through, but Dad is saying, know what? I'm not going to let you get through. All right, all right, good, good job, good job. Come back up here. Very good. Good job, good job. 
All right, I think a lot of times in life, what, ha- what is happening is we are living our lives like we are on defense, which means, in si- you okay? Let's die, you okay? All right. Oh, you can't breathe. <laughs> that is true. We're living our lives like on defense, and defense, you're trying to stop, right? But is the Christian life meant to be lived in defensive mode? Is it? No. It's not meant to be, oh, I'm just kind of, you know, hanging back because a lot of times you're just, you're, you're getting pushed back, right? And he got pushed back a little bit by his son. I, I think he just didn't want to hurt him, right? right? That was the main thing, especially in church in front of the thousands that are watching online worldwide. Yeah, exactly. Uh, go ahead. See if I can catch it. Oh, I got it. All right, very good. Good throw. Very good. Even in his sickness, he can still throw a ball. Good job. So here's what is happening. Here's what happens a lot of times. We're living our lives like we are on defense, and and what happens is we've dropped the ball, in a sense, as Christians. Now, if the offense, you're the offense, right? And if you're trying to go forward, but all of a sudden you come forward a little bit, and then you drop the ball, are you going to be able to score without the ball? Are you going to be able to get to the end zone without the ball? I mean, you can get to the end zone, but are you going to be able to actually fulfill the mission without the ball? No. Why not? Because you don't have the ball. Pick up the ball. Please. Thank you. Very good. Stay with me here. And this is what happens a lot of times. As Christians, instead of living our life on offense and trying to push through the defense, we're allowing the defense to come and just take the ball. Take the ball. And then we're just kind of like, eh, whatever. I mean, he's not even trying to stop him. Great illustration. He didn't know what I was talking about. Very good. You guys go back to your seats. Actually, no, stay up here. Stay up here. Stay up here. We'll help with this in just a second. Um, so the question is, am I living my life in defense, kind of going through the motions haphazardly, following Christ, or am I living my life in offense? Now, one person trying to get through the defense is tough. But what if we had two people? We're on the same team. Here we go. We got to get through. 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 Get through. Get through. All right. We scored. Good job, Ian. Yeah, touchdown. Hopefully we got that. All right. You guys can go back to your seats. Thank you. Oh, it's a good workout for all of us today. All right. Good. You laughing? But the question is, are we living our life on defense or are we living our life on offense? And too many Christians, stay with me, too many Christians have dropped the ball. We've dropped the ball. Because we're not truly committed to Jesus. We're not truly engaged in his mission. We're not doing what he has called us to do. You can't go forward towards the goal if you drop the ball. The Christian life is not meant to play it safe, is it? But how many of us throughout our lives are just playing it safe? We're doing the the bare necessities. We're doing just, just the minimum requirement. Just the little bit that I have to do to make sure that I can check off in my in my checklist that I've done what I'm supposed to do in my Christian life. But is a Christian life a checklist? No, it shouldn't be. And I, I preached the series about. Our mission, our purpose, our commission. As disciples, if you are saved as a disciple of Jesus Christ, it is your mission, it is your purpose to advance the gospel. 
to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Brother Mike, was it more challenging to stop two people than just one? Yes. So you think about it. The Bible says very clearly that the gates of hell, what? Shall not prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail against Jesus Christ, against Christianity. But you know what we're doing? We are allowing the gates of hell. We are allowing Satan, his minions, his forces to push us back. And you know what? That's just too tiring, so I'm just going to give up. Why don't we try to advance it and get others to join us? Because here's the truth. We can't do it in our own strength, can we? But we have a supernatural power within us. Who is that supernatural power? The Holy Spirit. That's what happened here at Pentecost. That's what we see with these disciples. It wasn't Peter that was preaching an amazing message and thousands got saved. It was the Holy Spirit working inside of him that gave him supernatural strength, supernatural power to push back and promote Jesus Christ and advance his kingdom. So I guess a couple questions as we close. Am I more concerned in this life about stuff or am I more concerned about souls? It's pretty challenging, isn't it? Am I more concerned about my stuff or am I more concerned about the souls that are dying and going to a place the Bible calls hell? Let me ask you a question. What are you fishing for in life? I'm not necessarily a fisherman. I fished several times in my life, but... Peter was a fisherman. He knew how to fish. That was his profession. But Peter chose, really once Jesus left, and really right before that, he chose that, you know what? I'm done with the cheap fishing of life. I'm not saying you should never fish. It's not what I'm saying. He chose to be done with the cheap fishing of life and instead started fishing for souls. Realizing that it's about Jesus, it's about his agenda, it's about advancing his gospel. Look, when you play, when you play sports, you can't play scared and expect to do good, can you? I remember, let's see here, I guess it's been 12 years now. 12 years ago, around this time, I, I tore ligaments in my ankle, my right ankle. I was in a uh, walking boot for upwards to a year, a little over a year. Had three surgeries on it. It's still not fixed. It's still messed up to this day. But I remember the first time I tore it playing softball. I was in a church softball league and running to first base. And as I was running in stride, my ankle just collapsed on me. And I landed on the inside of it. And it was very excruciating, very painful. <laughs> Uh, that's what led Amanda and myself together. She saw the picture, and she was just drawn by that picture of, like a, of my wound and open flesh and stuff like that. She's like, wow, I love this guy. Uh, anyway, that's another side story. But I remember the very first time, it was about a year later, that I played softball again. And you know what? When I first started playing, I was pretty scared, and rightly so, because I was afraid that I'm going to do some damage to this. But as I was playing, I realized that, you know what? I'm probably going to do more damage playing scared then actually, you know what, forget this, it's healed enough and everything is fine and just going forward. And the point I'm trying to make is we can't go through the Christian life scared. 
We can't be playing scared. Well, I, I, just, I don't know if I should you know, tell anybody about Jesus. And well, I guess you know, I'll just you know, live my life and do the, the, the minimum and you know, leave it up to other people that know more about that. If you're saved, is the Holy Spirit inside of you? Yes. And the same Holy Spirit that is inside of you is the same Holy Spirit that was inside of Peter. And the same Holy Spirit that was inside of Paul. Well, they're just supernatural. No, they're, they're not. What made them supernatural was the Spirit. And what makes you supernatural and takes you from ordinary to extraordinary, as we mentioned last week, is the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Look, church, we are not just a club. We should be a family on mission. And the disciples realized that they were engaged in a new message with a new purpose. You see, the new message with Jesus Christ, that he is risen, that he is alive. The, the new message is a truth of the gospel. The new purpose was to go and make disciples. Listen, church, we build God's kingdom by gospel preaching and gospel living. We advance his kingdom by going forward, not going backwards. We advance his kingdom by being on the offensive and pushing back the, the gates of hell, pushing back the, 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 the destroyer, pushing back all of the things that are against Christianity. We don't go forward by sitting and doing nothing. This series is what? Come alive. And we can come alive through the empowering of the Spirit, but we have to allow the Spirit to make us alive. How many remember the day you got saved? It was an exciting day. That's how we should live every single day of our life. With that same excitement, that same energy. Again, I've shared my testimony. I was just four years old. But I was so excited that I got saved that I couldn't help but tell my friends and my family, I got saved. Jesus is in me. Again, I, I talked about those scary, freaky dolls that were on my sister's walls. It didn't scare me because Jesus was in me. Nothing could stop me. That's what we need. We need that same excitement, that same energy. So are we living on offense or are we living in defense? It's easy for me to want to live on defense with a bend but don't break mentality. And here's what I mean. In football, a lot of times when a team is up by a lot, they have a bend, don't break mentality, which means you know they're pushing back, pushing back, pushing back. Hey, let's allow them to get some yards, but let's not allow them to score. That's what we do in our Christian life. You know, I'll just step back a little bit, step back a little bit, step back a little bit. It's not a big deal. I'll, I'll, I'll loosen my standards and convictions on this, loosen my standards on this. But before we know it, we're pushed back so far, we're not going the right direction. You know, I want our church to be truly led by the Spirit, and I've talked about that before. I want our church to be truly empowered by the Holy Spirit. That this church is not about me. It's not about my agenda. It's about his agenda. It's about allowing Jesus to move us, to guide us to go forward. And I want Eagle Drive to not be a church that is merely surviving, but thriving. I want Eagle Drive to be a church that is making an impact on our community, impact for the gospel, impact for others. How do we do that? Not by playing defense. Not by being complacent. We make an impact by being committed and engaged to his purpose, to his message. You know, when I think of Acts, I think of action. I think of it being active 
And we're trying to discover and become what authentic biblical Christianity should be. But everything the Lord and the Holy Spirit have shown me has led back to the truth that we must be active. We must be in action. We must be an active church. But a thriving church, listen, is an active church. A thriving church is actively on mission for God and making an impact on their community. So church, as I come to a conclusion, are you active in his mission? And that's what I see from Peter. And that's what we're going to see from these disciples, these early believers, that they were active. Peter could have taken the easy way. You know what? I'm just going to go back to fishing. You know what? I know I might risk imprisonment. I might risk death. But it's worth it living for Jesus. And church, if we want, if we want to make any kind of impact, if we want to make any kind of dent in our society, then we have to stop playing scared. I'm not trying to make light of the situation. I understand COVID is a serious thing. I, I do. I've known many people that have been affected by it. I, I'm not saying anything against it. But how many of us have seen things like COVID scare people out of being active in their faith? I'm not even talking about coming to church. And I understand people need to be safe and insecure. And I, I get that. Please trust me. I get that. But I've seen many people that have just allowed that to scare them so much that, you know what? I, I can't really do anything. I'm going to sit on the sidelines and do nothing. Is COVID our Savior? No. Who is our Savior? Jesus Christ. And isn't he greater than COVID? I'm not asking you to be foolish. I'm not. I want you to be safe. I want you to take cautions. And that's what we tried to do as a church. And we're going to continue that. But I want you to be active. I want this church to come alive. And we can't come alive if we're playing defense. If we're sitting back doing nothing. The church flourished in the book of Acts and multiplied because they were on mission. And you know what? My wife and I talked a lot about this in depth. You know, it's crazy some of the things that we're experiencing in our country and our nation right now and around the world. And there is a legitimate fear. I get that. And people are like, oh, my freedoms are being taken away. And you can say yeah, your nay on that. But what we are living in and through is nothing compared to what the early disciples were living in and through. They had an emperor, Nero, right? They had an emperor, Nero, that was against Christianity. And he persecuted them if they stood up at all for Jesus Christ. You know, we've heard of the Roman Colosseum. They were literally fed to lions because they believed in Jesus. And some of us are going crazy because we have to wear a mask. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to preach a political agenda here today. And mask, no mask, that's not the issue. The issue is, yes, it's, it's strange times. It's unprecedented times. But we still have freedom in Christ. We still have freedom to preach. They haven't shut us down yet. We have, still have freedom to do what God wants us to do. And until the day we stop having freedom, then we must push forward, church. 
We must try our best to advance the gospel. And the only way we're going to advance it is if men and women, boys and girls, are truly committed and engaged. And that's my question this morning. Are you truly committed to Jesus Christ and engaged in his mission, his purpose, with his message? We're going to pray in just a minute, have a time of invitation. But we have to move beyond our agenda and allow the Holy Spirit to empower us, and it takes commitment and engagement. You see, the message of the gospel is a message worth living. And I'm going to challenge you, as I've been challenging many times before, to not do it because others have done it, but I want you to, whether in your seats or here at the altar, come forward and ask God to bring about a new commitment in your life, in your heart. You're watching at home. Ask God to bring about a new commitment, a new engagement like never before, to do what he has called you to do. It's time that we are committed to his agenda because we don't know when Christ is coming back. The disciples thought they were living in the last days, and they were. And we think, well, we're living in the last days, which we are, but we don't know when Jesus is coming back. It could be the next year. Things could just get progressively worse. But it could be 50 years from now. So are we going to spend the next 50 years playing defense because I'm just scared of what might happen? Or am I going to live my life on mission for God? Look, church, I want to spend the rest of my life, however long that might be, whatever takes me, takes me. We learned that in Ecclesiastes, right? There's a time to be born and a time to die. We can't live scared. And I'm not trying to make light of it. Please don't, don't misunderstand me. I understand it's a serious thing going on, but we can't live our lives scared. We have to live our lives on mission. So when are we going to understand that? Every pastor, every church is struggling right now with attendance and people coming and not coming, and it's, it's, it's tough. I feel like, you know, it, because of this with our own church, and I've talked to many other friends and pastors and ministry leaders, it's, just, it's a struggle trying to get people to be active again. And it's more than even coming, just being active in your faith because the church isn't just the building. I'm thankful for the opportunity to live stream. I'm thankful for the opportunity to, to preach as people can't be here, whether work or whether sickness or whatever it is. I'm thankful for that, but we have to be active. I told you last year that I believe God wants us to be a training center. God wants us to, to train men and women, boys and girls with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we want to really do that, then we have to quit playing defense. And we have to be committed and engaged.